By way of introduction today, the first place that we see uh, the idea of the word memorial uh, in the scriptures is that even though the Bible is filled with examples of special days, which are set aside with the purpose and intent by God to declare to mankind in general and Israel in particular, that this or that day was to be marked, remembered, or memorialized. We are reminded, cause to remember, or to take notice of things so that we don't forget the importance of who God is and thus to remember, to revere, and to honor, and to adore uh, the name of God forever. The scriptures uh, make it very clear that we are to give in memory the things that God declares to be important to us, a special memorized or mem uh, memorialized, sorry about that, um, day, a day or a time set aside so that we don't forget what God has said. And we don't think of Memorial Day and the idea of uh, things being memorialized as being necessarily uh, together. But because of our forefathers, being men of God and thinking about uh, that very fact of what is declared in Scripture, that is how we came up with this idea of people being remembered, memorialized for the sacrifices, for the cost, uh, uh, that they have paid so that we indeed can have freedom and uh, uh, that we can have liberty as a people. So you don't go very far from the Bible, but which you come up with this idea, the concept, and the purpose behind uh, why we have a Memorial Day. Number one, note that the Hebrew word which is used in the Old Testament is the word uh, uh, Zecher, Z-E-H-K-E-R is uh, the phonetic spelling of it, meaning to mark, remember, or memorialize. This is how the word memorial is first used in scripture. This idea of the first use indicates that God intends for how we should use this word when found in all other passages of scripture. That's one of the laws of interpretation. Wherever it's used first and how it's used is how you need to look at the importance of it and the statement of it throughout the rest of Scripture. Exodus 3, verses 14 and 15 declare, And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is my memorial to all generations. Interesting, isn't it? At least I find it interesting that that's the first place in the scriptures where this word to memorialize uh, is used. Second, note that as you can see by this text, the Lord God, Jehovah, wanted Israel to remember what this holy name of God was intended to convey, declare, and remind us of as to his nature and character. Now, Jared this morning was uh, talking to the adult uh, Sunday school lesson uh, class um, the very facts of what we are talking about today, how we are to remember God. Well, why is that important? Because only if you know who God is can you truly worship him right. And that is what Jared is talking about is our condition of coming into God's house and then in remembrance of who God is to worship him in holiness and righteousness and in purity. And so today, uh, I told him already, I said, uh, your message 
uh, this morning in, in the Sunday school class just ties right in with exactly what I've been talking about this morning in my message. So praise God. The Lord God was to be remembered by those who spoke his holy name as part of their daily conduct, prayer, and worship. Exodus 20 and verse 7 declares, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That word vain there means to uh, give it emptiness or to make it mean nothing. Uh, you should not speak the name and not have it represented by the truth. You should not speak the name of God and have it to be uh, anything but exactly what God declares it to be. And uh, that is why it's so important that we understand exactly what God is trying to do when he says that his name should not be taken in vain. God's name has a historical significance, meaning, and consequence when we as his people mention, even mention his name. For we are to remember who the Lord God is and uh, that we are uh, addressing uh, his name as a holy name, his name as a name that is speaking of who our God is. God told Moses, this is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations, as we read in the text this morning that was in Exodus. Now, it's interesting that we see it in such a way. It's his name forever, and it is my memorial. Now, you have to stop and extrapolate what the context of this is actually talking about. Third, none of, uh, note that the, this was not given to just Israel, but to all who utter, mention, or repeat the name of Jehovah God. Jehovah as the Lord of Israel, the Lord God of Israel, however you want to put those three together, uh, has a specific meaning and a specific purpose, which we've talked about before. But the moment that we begin to bring God down to the name God, and we forget about those things that he says about what that name God means, then we immediately have just truncated the whole thought of what God is trying to get across to us. The moment that we only use the word God, the same word is used by everybody around the world. Okay, which God are you talking about? Who are you talking about? Is it the Christian God? Is it the, uh, the Jewish God? Is it a pagan God? Which God do you uh, make reference to? The reality of all this is that we have to understand that the scriptures give us a clear and definite answer as to who the Lord or Jehovah is in the scriptures. And that when we come to services to worship God, we have to stop and think about which God it is we're worshiping. We have to stop and remember whenever we even utter that name, who it is that we're talking about. And especially when we pray, which God are you praying to? Is it a God who is your savior, your redeemer, your holy God? Or is it just a God? Even the God doesn't really talk about the reality of what his name means. Well, the scriptures again declare that we are to memorialize <laughs> sorry, his name. We are not to forget it, but we are to remember it. We are to understand who he is and then make that understanding clear in our own hearts and minds so that any time we mention his name, uh, wouldn't it be terrible if my dear wife would call me by the name George and then not know who that is? Well, yeah, but she loves you. I would hope she knows who I am. But you see, we use the name God all the time. We use the name Lord all the time, and we don't always understand that. Well, yeah, but he, he, he's, he's the Lord. He's, 
He's somebody important in my life. Well, I hope he's more than just somebody important in your life. Uh, President Obama is somebody who's important to your life too. But he certainly doesn't equate with God. So there is something to this that we need to be aware of this morning. And I hope this Memorial Day that we will take this seriously. Not just the fact that it has been memorialized that those men who have suffered, who have died uh, for this country are remembered, but that our God is remembered because from the very beginning, he is the creator of the world. And more than the creator, he is also our redeemer. And he is the one who is ruling sovereignly over everyone. And so when we mention that name, we have to take all of that in the context of what we're dealing with. And not just spit a name out as to what we are aware of or what we're, uh, you know, somewhat happy with or whatever. If we can say something and then not have to explain it, like you're amazing. I was noticing that, uh, what was the two words I said, honey, amazing and incredible that uh, Mr. Trump uses all the time. And I thought to myself, you know, he's using it too much because everything can't be amazing and everything can't be incredible, but those are the only two words that he seems to use a lot. Well, think about the words uh, that Christians are using often. Well, I believe in God, I believe in the Lord, I believe in Jesus Christ. Most people don't know who Jesus Christ is. And they certainly don't know where his authority comes from or what part he plays in our redemption. And those are the kinds of things that we can't get used to in the sense that it doesn't have meaning anymore. God will not let his name be uttered in vain. Do you hear what I'm saying? God will not let his name be repeated in vain in an empty way, in a way that has no meaning or no purpose. God wants us to memorialize who he is and what he is. All right, quit preaching and go on to meddling. Beloved, men may ask, what is, uh, what's in a name? Shakespeare once said, a rose by any other name is still a rose. I think you can get the idea of what he's saying. It smells the same. You could call it anything you want, but a rose is still a rose. Well, God is still God. And it's up to us to remember what that name means and why it becomes important for us to use as we worship. Not our definition of God. You hear people say things like, well, my God would never do that. Well, your God better be the God of Scripture. And when you come to the point where you have memorized and understood exactly what that name means, you've defined it, not according to how you feel, but according to what the scriptures declare, then you will be able to worship God aright. But not until then. <coughs> With God, his name reveals everything about him that we need to know. Isn't that interesting? God hasn't left us in the dark on any of this. But his name tells us everything about him that we need to know. And I'm going to give you a few things here that the scriptures declare. But I want you to understand that this is just a small, small list. Because in each name, you can expand that with understanding and with meaning and you come to the place where that you see that the name of God is all-encompassing. You can't think of anything that goes on in this world that the name of God doesn't cover one way or another. And so we're going to give you eight things this morning. And I would encourage you that if you want a list of these eight names, let me know. I'll make a list for you. If you want to memorize it, if you want to... Uh, Define it from, from the scriptural standpoint so that you, you don't take God's name in vain. That indeed, this will help you. And uh, it is important. Jehovah God is first and, all, and, and uh, most importantly of all, 
Jehovah God is eternal. Now, everybody kind of maybe could figure that one out. He's eternal. No beginning and no end. He says, I am Alpha and Omega. What is that? He's saying, I'm eternal. Then the next name that our God is given is, he's eternal, he's self-existent. That there was never a time when he didn't exist. That some God someplace didn't make him. That he's eternal and self-existent. He maintains himself, he continues his self, himself in the sense of how he lives the same throughout eternity. Which, by the way, ties into the idea of God being unchangeable. So we find that he's eternal, self-existent. Then we find that the scriptures declare that he is holy. Jared, this morning in Sunday school, uh, was talking about the fact, what does the name holy mean? And uh, most of us would uh, define holiness as being uh, perfection or purity. And that's true. It is part of that. But Jared, what more is it than just the matter of being uh, uh, perfect or, or uh, uh, idea of perfection? He's set apart. There is none like him in all the earth. There is no God who is equal to our God, Jehovah. You know, Sheila's got a uh, thing that she wrote and put on our refrigerator. And it has that line in it from a verse of scripture that declares that truth. There is no God but the God Jehovah. And I, I find that to be very fascinating. I'm reminded because every time I go to the refrigerator, I know that, uh, you know, I shall not uh, be sustained by food alone, but by every word from the word of God. Now, I'm sure that she didn't put it there because she needs to lose weight, but I do. <laughs> so I find that fascinating. So our God is eternal, self-existent, holy. He is a righteous God, which means that he does everything right. Now, these are simple concepts. And like I said, you can fill in the blanks as to how they're applied to a much grander scale. Our God is a righteous God. He is the only redeemer. There is no other. I used to have a thing on our phone, and my wife says, that's too long. But I liked it because it was succinct in declaring that God is the only redeemer for mankind. When people called George and Sheila, then they got this message that we believed in the God who was the only redeemer. And I like that. Because most people today aren't thinking that way. And, uh, you know, I don't know how many people that do those robocalls or whatever actually uh, heard that message, but I hope some of them did. It's amazing to me how we have people in this day and age who call themselves Christians, and they send out Christmas cards that don't have one speck of scripture on them. Have a great holiday. What does that mean? That surely does not give Christ, the king of everyone, the earth, nor his birth as man doesn't give them any uh, understanding of that at all. If you buy a Christmas card, find one that's got a verse of scripture on it. Goodness sakes, where's your witness for the Lord that you say you love? Well, yeah, but it might offend somebody. Well... Wasn't Jesus the one who said that as they spoke of him in evil terms, they'll speak of us in evil terms? Are we trying to harm them by send, giving them scripture? I asked a doctor one time, why don't you have a verse of scripture up on your wall? Since you claim to be a Christian, well, I don't want to offend anyone. Now he's, I don't know, he used to attend a church not too far from us here. But I wonder what kind of Christianity he has if he's afraid of offending somebody with the God he says he saves or that he says he loves. I don't know. We need to be, uh, I think, a little more proactive in our witness rather than worrying about whether somebody is offended. We need to worry about whether God has given us 
an opportunity to speak his name, and we have denied our love and our devotion to him by being silent. But that's George. Now, he is Redeemer. He is Savior. The scriptures, again, in Isaiah have two or three passages where it says that he is the only Savior of mankind. When we get to the New Testament and it talks about Jesus Christ, our Savior, guess what it's making allusion to? Jesus Christ really is. He's the Jehovah of the Old Testament. Because Jehovah God is the only Savior, and Jesus Christ is the only Savior. What do you have when two things are equal? They're equal. And so as we begin to think about these words and how they're used, it's not an Old Testament God and a New Testament God. They are the same God. It is the same person. He is sovereign. We, we like to use this term because we think that God is in control of everything in our lives. And yet we don't stop to think that that means our wallet as well as our salvation. God is sovereign, but he's sovereign in every way there is. He's not wringing his hands and having a fit thinking about, well, will they make the right choice? Will they do the right thing? Do you think that maybe today they might choose me as their savior? Hogwash. The scriptures clearly declare the fact that he says that no one comes unto the Father through, through Jesus Christ our Lord. No one comes to God except God draw him to himself. Now that's sovereignty as God uses the term and we need to understand that definition for our own lives. We think somehow or another that God is sovereign in all these other things but when it comes to me and how I make decisions that God is not sovereign. Well, he is. But unless you learn to trust and believe in him as being sovereign. Again, it's def definition by his terms and his name, not by our thoughts or our ideas. And then the last then that we see is he's the creator of heaven and earth. He's the creator of everything that is here. There isn't anything that was made that was not made without him and his power. He has made all things for his glory and honor. All things for his glory and honor. Not, not some things, all things. So when you see things going wrong and we say to ourselves, oops, God made a mistake. No, he didn't. Whatever he's doing, he's doing it for his glory and honor, and we can't see the results that these things lead to, and therefore we have to learn to trust what God is doing. One of those things is the number of people who are killed in the concept of trying to provide for us freedom and liberty here in America. Why did God bless this country as he has? Why? Because it is supposed to serve his purpose so that he might be glorified and honor in what is done. And how do we respond to God? How do we take this God who has blessed this country immensely? Well, we ignore who he is and what he declares of himself so that we only worship what we think is important and we only do what we think has meaning and so, therefore, we have turned away from God. We are living in rebellion because we have turned God away. What does the scripture declare about the nation that forgets God? You know, it's important that you and I see these things for uh, how they are given to us in scripture. Second, note that we, as a nation of God-fearing men, were influenced by Israel's commanded conduct and have borrowed this concept of memorializing a day of remembrance. I wish that they had made my dyslexia uh, have a different word 
to memorialize, <laughs> sorry, for all who, uh, our fallen soldiers, all those who fought for our freedoms and liberties with their blood, sweat, and tears. Memorial Day actually began in 1868, as far as uh, most of the historical records give us uh, a time of, as a day to commemorate those who fought in the Civil War. But uh, this has been expanded to include all fallen comrades of our nation uh, in the many wars that we've been a part of since that time. This is, in fact, the second use of this word memorial as it is used in Scripture. Israel was to set aside a particular day to remember their own deliverance, victory, and uh, liberation from Egyptian slavery. Jehovah God required that through the bloody sacrifice of a select lamb, their sins were declared to be covered or atoned for by its shed blood in order for their individual and national redemption to, uh, uh, to have taken place. If no perfect lamb, then no sacrifice. And if no burnt offering was given, then there would be no redemption from sin. Each aspect of this ceremony of the Passover day must have been followed to the letter of the law. Exodus 12:14 reads, So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Now, did you know that we're still memorializing certain aspects of the Christian faith? You ever heard of something called uh, Holy Communion? What does God tell us? To remember that day and what happened on that day when Christ died for us and then rose from the dead. You see, the thing of it is, is that we have many people today as Christians who choose to come to the Lord's table and those not to come to the Lord's table. And why do they make that choice? You got me. I have no idea. Because it doesn't say if you want to come or if you think you need to come, it says you are to remember the Lord in this way. As often as you come together and worship the Lord in this way, you are to do it in remembrance of him. Wow. Well, that's pretty strict, Pastor. Yes. Hello. And that's exactly why we have been turning God away from us today. That is how we have destroyed the very fabric of what we call worship of God today. Because we take what God has commanded and we relegate it to if I want to. If I feel like it. I, I don't know if your kids behave you the way you behave God. But if you had a child and you told him you need to clean up your bedroom and cut the grass today and he doesn't do it, do you say, oh, well, it doesn't matter? I think some of you probably do. Because you act the same way towards God when he commands you to do something yourself. I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know how you live your life. But I do know that God's word doesn't change. We are supposed to be doing what God commands us to do. One of the commandments is to love your neighbor. One of the commandments is to love your brothers. Do we do that? Well, I think sometimes we think we're doing it, but we're really if we're not doing it the way that God has told us to do it. Memorial Day actually is a very important part of our yearly celebration of our country because we realize that this country could not have been established and brought into existence 
except for people paying the price with their own blood. Well, guess what? Christianity is the same. There would be no Christianity if Christ had not gone to the cross. There would be no church to worship in if Christ had not told us that we are to worship God by gathering in his name and remembering his death, burial, and resurrection. So where is the shortcut in our mind that thinks that we can ignore what God says? What is that call? Isn't that called rebellion? My mother used to say I was a rotten kid, but she never called me rebellious, so I guess I must have been okay in some ways. Kid I was, because I teased her mercilessly. But it was all in fun at her expense. <laughs> we need to think about these things because they are they're the very foundation of what's going on among our so-called Christians today throughout America. My wife makes a statement about a church that we went to and we heard the pastor say, uh, you know, that if church isn't fun, you shouldn't go there. Uh, where is that in the scripture? Where is that definition found? Where is it even hinted at? I thought worship was about God. I didn't know that worship was about you and I. You see, this is what's happened, is we've allowed the world's idea of what good things are to creep into the church. And it's easy for us to accept what man thinks is good because God, what God expects from us is a little harder to maintain. And then to think that somehow or another we can just change it and make it so that it's more of an upbeat tone or tune or an upbeat practice. You know, well, you don't want to be mournful or soulful. No, I, I don't want to turn uh, worship services into a funeral dirge. But at the same time, it's got to bring honor and glory to God's name. Jared was talking about finding that happy medium today. And how important it is for us to recognize that there is a happy medium. You can go too far one way or the other. We don't want to be a Pharisee, but we don't want to be a Sadducee. And that's what we usually wind up being. Hopefully, we want to be Christian. And we want to give God glory and honor in how we live and what we do and say. Well, Jehovah God required that bloody sacrifice as a remembrance and a memorial, it's easy for me to say, uh, that Israel would not forget who her God was. And we too need to think in the same terms. Each aspect of the ceremony of the Passover day was to be followed to the exact letter of the law. And Jared ended his message in Sunday school this morning with the idea that it's not supposed to have addition or it's not supposed to be modified or allowed to be changed in any way because when you do that, you lose the fact that it is God's command. Would you like things to be different in this church? Well, I'm asking a question. And how would you like it to be different, dear brother? More godly worship, more attendance, following close to the scriptural truth, making the things of God ours to practice and believe. Our church needs to be different because obviously there's a great difference, a disparity uh, between how we practice our faith and how God declares that we are supposed to worship him. Amen. Third, note that there is yet another use of this term, memorial, 
in how the Bible defines its use. The last idea conveyed, conveyed by the use of memorial is that of marking or setting something aside as being identified and designated unto God's use. Now this is different from the biblical term of sanctification, which means to separate something or to set a, uh, someone or something aside in order to declare it holy in purpose or meaning. Sanctify them by thy truth, John 17, thy word is truth, Jesus' prayer to the Father. Well, that ought to say something to you. If we're supposed to be sanctified by the truth, and he says your word is truth, then the word of God is what defines and makes it distinguishable as to being sanctified. The word of God is what should give us direction and meaning to the things that we do. And if the scriptures don't declare it, then we have no need to do it. We have no need to practice what God doesn't command. Common sense sometimes comes into play there, but I think that we can kind of, we're old enough as adults to figure that one out. What's good for God is good. What's good for us is not good. Plain and simple. We're not talking about whether or not we have a paved parking lot or there's cushions on the pews. There's nothing in the scripture that says you have to have a paved parking lot or that you have to have pews that have cushions. There's nothing that says you have to have pews. We have invented all these things to make it easier for us. But you have to be careful. You don't want the tail wagging the dog. If you say that we have to have this or that in order to worship God right, you're wrong. Because what we need to worship God aright is those things that he declares about himself. And when we forget those, then we have forgotten what worship is really about. So when you talk about God, when you talk about the Lord Jesus Christ... When you talk about Jehovah, I hope that you'll stop and think of what that name is really reflecting in your thoughts. It's just not an empty name that you're throwing out, but that it will have meaning. Now, this idea of uh, a memorial, this is different from uh, the idea of sanctification as we mentioned. Our term of memorializing means to mark or identify something as being known, declared, or acknowledged by the Lord. Note the meaning of this text in Joshua 4.7. Then you shall answer them, that is, the children who ask about this, then you will answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be a memorial to the children of Israel forever. A memorial. A way to mark something that takes place historically that's very important. That's kind of how we use the term memorial for Memorial Day, isn't it? In the uh, crossing of the Jordan going from the uh, wilderness of uh, sin into the promised land, uh, it was during the flood stage of the year. And the priests marched up to the edge of the water and they couldn't go any farther. It was flooding. And the flooding was high. And God told Moses, raise your hand up. You remember the practice in the Red Sea. Raise your hand up and go forward. And he raised his hand up and he went forward. Well, what did God do? He made the stones stand up in a heap, or the stones, the water stand up in a heap, and they went across on dry ground. But they were to make a memorial of 12 stones, one stone for each tribe. By the way, these are not rocks, they're stones. They took 12 stones, and these were large stones that they made a memorial heap. 
that sounds kind of weird. We would want to build some kind of edifice, kind of like maybe the Lady of Liberty that sits at the uh, harbor in New York, because after all, we would want it to be beautiful, and we would want it to reflect the, you know, our passion for our liberty and our freedom. But uh, God's way is not our way. He didn't take hewn stones. He took boulders, large rocks, whatever you want to talk about, and he stacked them up so that the floodwaters wouldn't wash them away and that people who went by that would remember that this was where the ark of God went across into the promised land. The idea for importance there is that God led his people into the promised land. And how important it is for us to remember that God did this. Therefore, the memorial heap. But that heap isn't anything that is important in its outward appearance. It's only importance in its meaning. In its meaning. We would like to make things so much better than just rocks stacked up. We want it to be special because we think that that's what is impressive to God. God says, no, you just need to remember that I am the one who put you across the Jordan in flood season on dry ground. That's all that God wanted them to remember. That simple reality. Yet, like I said, we would want to do it different. If you see this memorial pile, then you are to remember the Lord's hand of power, blessing, and provision to bring you into the promised land. These three different uses of this word help us identify why God wants us to remember certain events and has commanded certain practices of our faith be maintained. Note the meaning of our text for today's message. How the Lord views us as seeking him. Acts chapter 10, verse 6. So he, the angel, said to him, Cornelius, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Wow. First thing I ran across was that, how are they using that term? And does it really mean that? And so I looked up the Greek word. Guess what? It means memorial the same meaning basically as what we found in the Old Testament. First, note that our text for today's message is about a Gentile Roman soldier whose name was Cornelius, a centurion in rank and authority. We have this remarkable story of a man, an Italian Gentile, who was seeking to know and to honor God with his life. One note that it is apparent that the first thing to understand about um, this passage is that as an unsaved believer, this Roman centurion was actually trying to communicate and worship with the Jewish God, Jehovah. He had respect for the God of Israel and was a seeker. We call him a proselyte. You've heard people called proselytes before? There's somebody who doesn't claim to be saved, but yet they're in. They want to know more about the things of God. And so they're a learner. They're a proselyte. They're a follower of the truth concerning Jehovah God. Note that, secondly, that seeking after God is at the heart and soul of today's message. Think about... Uh, what this test or his testimony indicated about his religious pursuits. Your prayers and alms have come up for a memorial before God. It begins in the chapter with the fact that he has spent time in prayer. And at the third hour, let's see, what that would that be? About nine o'clock in the morning, I guess, if it's a Roman hour. He's a centurion, I take it, it that's what it's talking about. The third hour, sixth hour was the first one. Third hour is the nine o'clock in the morning. About the third hour, he has a vision because he's been praying. He began his day in prayer. How many of you as unbelievers are willing to begin your day in prayer? 
seeking God, seeking the truth of God. Well, here's this Gentile who wants to know more about the God Jehovah. So he doesn't know who he is, but he's doing his best to communicate with that God, and he's praying. Kind of interesting, isn't it? I think it is, too. Got to be careful here. My opinion is that he didn't know who this was that he was praying to. And when the centurion observed him, he was afraid, observed the angel, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? Now, in the, in the NIV, the Lord is capital L-O-R-D, and in this, uh, my uh, um, New King James, it puts Lord as being small l, as master or Lord not Supreme Master, as the capital L supposedly means. How did this Roman soldier know that this angel was not Elf? I mean, after all, he appeared in such a way as to certainly get his attention. Well, my opinion is that he didn't, for after the angel of God declared that God of glory had seen and heard his petition, only then did he realize that this angel of God was Jehovah's emissary. He was there representing the holy God of heaven. Now that's got to give you a little bit of a thrill. Here you are, an individual who is doing his very best, his dead level best, to seek this God of the Jews that he didn't know anything about. And here's an angel who comes along and says... Um, the Lord of glory is going to send you a message through Peter. Through Peter. Third, note that the God of glory acknowledged this centurion's efforts as being viewed and heard by the Lord personally. So he, the angel of God, said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial, a reminder before God. Do you think that God needs a reminder? That almost seems like it's admitting that God forgets. But that's not the way that this word is being used. It is a memorial in the sense that he has set those things that you have done aside and mark them as special. And thus he wants you to hear the story of salvation through Peter. But that would never have happened if he wasn't involved, if he wasn't totally submitted to the fact that he wanted to find and seek the God of the Jews so that he could know the truth. So that's where we're at here. Remember Cain's uh, uh, challenge, uh, or rather, remember, let's see, I've got to find it here. Uh, this action on the part of God is not so easy to grasp, but its result is observed in several other passages of Scripture. Note for one that uh, God requires certain conduct from us, whether we believe in him or not. Now that's, that's a key here. It doesn't matter if you believe in God. Did you hear me? It doesn't matter if you believe in God. The things that God commands are still required. Wow. Is that right? You mean I just can't skate along and not be worried about it? No. If God commands it, you need to be doing it. You need to be practicing it. Why? Because it's better for you if you do it his way. Live life according to his commands, not according to what you think is important. Even the lost will be accountable to God. Now, remember the challenge, or Cain's challenge, by the Lord to live and do what was right. Now, you may disagree with what I have said, but surely you have heard it that all men will give account of what has been done in the flesh, whether good or bad. 
Have you not heard that? Well, if that's news to you, guess what? It doesn't change the fact. God has commanded that all men will stand accountable. And when we're looking at it from that standpoint, note that the day in which Cain offered his burnt offering to Jehovah God, it was rejected by the Lord, who answered Cain with this remark. Then why are you angry? Why that scowl on your face? If you had done the right thing, you would be smiling. But because you have done evil, sin is crouching at your door. It wants to rule over you, but you must overcome it. Wow. That's from today's English version. Let me ask you this question. How do we overcome sin? So there's our answer to how this centurion was able to make God aware of his prayer in his alms deeds. He displayed a measure of believing faith because faith is what over, a, a, a measure of believing faith in God. He was believing in God, but not for salvation yet. He believed that the Hebrew God was the right God to seek. He's still seeking. Don't forget that truth. Interesting. Just, his faith was not in himself or in what he had done to help others, but he trusted, believed, and sought the God of the Jews to save him. Fourth, note that this Roman centurion was told to find Peter and let him explain the message of salvation by Jesus Christ. This man was not directed to a priest of Moses, nor to some other religious belief system but to Jesus Christ through the declaration of the message of the one true gospel of grace. I wonder, those of you who have not come to Jesus yet for your salvation, do you believe God? Do you believe that what the scriptures have declared about God, that he is the only savior? Then if you want to be saved, guess what you got to do? It's only reasonable that you should understand you need to seek salvation from the one who can provide it. You can't go on rejecting Christ as the Savior and hope that there's hope for you. I, I just don't understand our reasoning sometimes. We will live a lifetime with the very plainest of messages in our face and we reject it because we don't like it. Oh, I don't want to be bothered with all that. I want to do what I want to do the way that I want to do it. You know, you might get that out of a six-year-old kid, but certainly you shouldn't think that an adult would have that kind of reasoning. And yet, it happens every Sunday that we come to church the same people who were lost when they came through the doors last week are lost when they've come through the doors this week, and there's only one answer. They're not seeking salvation from God. They're not seeking salvation from God because he's the only Savior. I wonder, those of you, who are here today, if you grasp what I'm saying. This was the Roman soldier's testimony. As it is stated by Simon a Tanner in Acts chapter 10, verse 22, and they said, Cornelius, they're speaking about Cornelius here, the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nations of the Jews, as divinely instructed by the holy angel to summon you to this house and to hear words from you, from Peter. Okay. Again, we read this of our Roman centurion, Acts chapter 10, verses 30 through 32. So Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, 
said Cornelius, your prayers had been heard and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Wow. The ninth hour. You remember how the hours go? The third hour was nine o'clock. The sixth hour was midday and the ninth hour was three o'clock in the afternoon. When did Jesus come down from the cross? It was the ninth hour. He was there from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. Just incredible stuff. Five, note that this is the answer to our question of these memorial deeds of the man called Cornelius. This can be the answer to your soul's need as well. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Come to God through Jesus Christ. That's the message that Peter told Cornelius. Second, note that the Greek word used in our text is, now I can't really say this, it's mene, M-N together, A-Y, mene, manyo'o. The term is used to convey the meaning of the word remember, to make mention, to be mindful, or to be remembered. As you can see, the Hebrew and the Greek appear to convey the same thought about the need to memorialize certain events, commands, and the things commemorated unto God. God commanded of us, commands of us, I should say, uh, have nothing to do with whether we are willing to obey, but as his word has, uh, was spoken, we are condemned already if we do not believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. This is not an excuse or... Uh, and out for you or me by merely mouthing the words I don't believe or I don't care or I don't want to follow Jesus guess what one of these days when you stand before God those kinds of words and excuses won't mean a thing because he will say to you see here are the scars in my hands and look at the wound in my side and the nails that were pierced my feet. He's going to be your savior, your judge, or your friend. You're the one who has to understand where you stand. Are you seeking a savior? Are you seeking a savior in a righteous way? Or do you just come to church hoping that every Sunday something will happen and therefore you'll be saved. If you're looking for, uh, uh, you know, when you kissed your wife and you heard music in the background, is that what happened? You know, when your grandchildren kissed you with their little chubby faces when they first come from the womb, uh, were there bells in heaven ringing? No. There's no outward reality to these things. There's only an inward faith that causes us to rejoice because God has revealed himself to our soul. But if you're not seeking it, then you can't expect to find it. How I pray today that you will think about this. This is not an excuse because our God expects that you repent believe and humbly submit to his will simply because he is God there's no promise of benefit there's no promise of being made rich there's no promise of being honored there's only the promise that he will give us eternal salvation. What are you expecting the Lord of glory to write his hands, uh, to wring his hands uh, or stomp his feet just because you are living in disobedience to his will? Life is not about you, dear friend. Life is giving to us, is given to us rather so as to bring glory to God 
and the cause of his grace and, and goodness to come to his people through the cross work of Jesus Christ. Secondly, how we need to seek God. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. Quite a message, isn't it? First, note that Cornelius was committed to seeking after the truth of God. And here is a man who heard the various reports of how the Jews believed in a God called Jehovah. He was in a position because of his power and authority to ask, seek, and find an answer as to who this God was, whom the Jews worshipped. By the way, he had plenty of gods in Rome. And he had plenty of other gods around him. The Greek gods were very widely used in those days, as well as the Roman gods. Cornelius was a, du a devotee of Ju Judaism. He was able to find out how they prayed, what they read from scriptures, and he wanted to discover the truth concerning this unknown Jehovah God, unknown to him, but not unknown to us who read the scriptures. You see, the Lord of glory heard his prayers and saw his deeds. Thus, Israel's God drew this man to himself by means of hearing um, the gospel of grace. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You want to know why we keep pounding on you guys about not reading the scriptures? Because that's the only way that you're going to be sanctified if you're a child of God and how you're going to know about God if you're an unbeliever. The scriptures are the answer. The book that nobody wants to read is the answer. <laughs> Isn't that just like humans? You see the difference in what Cornelius did and what you are perhaps doing? Jesus our Lord said this about those who seek after God, Matthew 5 and verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Do you have a longing in your soul for something today? Is it pizza? Is it fried chicken? I hope that it's Jesus Christ. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Second note that this unsaved man, Cornelius, displayed these specific actions. He's not passively sitting at home hoping that something will happen. He's not even going into Jewish services at a synagogue and hoping that something will happen. He's busy on a daily basis seeking after the truth of God. And God sees him and hears him. I would ask today, are you committed to doing the things of God whether he chooses to save you or not? God is not required to save you. Are you committed to living God's kind of life the way that he has declared it, whether he saves you or not? Because that is why we need to live as God has commanded. Not because there's a fringe benefit to it, but simply because that's what he expects of those that he has created. We are commanded to live a holy life. And that's not just believers. That's unbelievers. Live as good as you possibly can. And if God doesn't bless you with salvation, he'll more than likely bless you with long life. But the point is, is that it is up to God whether he does it or not. Do you recognize that living for God is a far better way of life than fighting against his will? Would you rather live rebelliously towards God than be willing to honor God and live 
in a way that is commanded by him to practice and live. John 6.37 says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will in no wise or no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but save raising, but should rather raising it up at the last day. Should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting, eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Is this your hope, dear friend? Do you trust in the ever-living God of glory? Hear the word of God, First Chronicles 16.10. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearers of those rejoice who seek the Lord. What a message for today. Glory in his name, his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Again, we read this, one, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Let's close in prayer this morning. Um, did you pick a song to sing to close? Okay. I'll need you again. Let's pray. Father, how we ask that your blessing would be upon your word this morning. The silence of the crowd speaks loudly to the very fact that there are those here who perhaps have not thought of it this way before. I pray, God, that your spirit is walking among us and that you will move hearts to believe and trust in you this day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Okay. Stand up, please.